see you through a screen. And um, as Sarah said, we started a series in 2019. So much has happened since 2019. And the series was called Kingdom Life. And as Sarah said, we basically started systematically going through the book of Acts. We went from uh, 1 through to 20, and today we're going to start on 21. Um, In case you are unfamiliar with the book of Acts, uh, or maybe you're new to the Bible, or maybe you weren't here, you didn't hear that Kingdom Life series, um, I want to give us a very quick, if you like, whistle-top, whistle-stop tour of this book to kind of bring us up to speed on all that's happened um, so far. So the book of Acts is written by Luke. This is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And the first half of Acts is all about the Apostle Peter. And the second half is about the Apostle Paul. But in essence, the whole book of Acts is about the growth, the explosion, if you like, of the church. It starts with Jesus ascending into heaven, the, the Holy Spirit coming down at Pentecost. We see large-scale conversions and public miracles. And then the early apprentices of Jesus, they go from place to place, from town to town, from city to city, sharing the gospel, baptizing people, and planting churches. Then Acts speaks of this heavy opposition that the early church uh, faces. We see the trial and the death of Stephen, who is the first Christian martyr. And then the gospel continues to go out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and loads more places, eventually ending up in Rome. I think we've got a little picture that's going to come up. And as these new believers journey from place to place, we get what aid our senior pastor calls these little postcards. They're these little reports that come back to us through Acts, explaining exactly what is happening to the early church as the gospel goes out. And the church grows at a dramatic rate. We then see the conversion of Saul, who becomes Paul. And if you remember that Saul was one of the greatest enemies of the early church, and he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and God transforms his life and then calls him to share the gospel with everyone. We pick up this story today as Paul has completed his third missionary journey, and he's on his way towards Jerusalem. And I truly believe this story acts, I mean, this could be, I think it probably is my favorite book in the Bible, but I truly believe that the story of the explosion of the church is without a doubt the greatest story ever told. That that our amazing God wants to use us, the church, his bride, to rescue the world. And of course, we know this has been going on thousands of years and continues to go on now that God wants to use us to bring this precious message to people. One of the things that I've been thinking of as I've been preparing this message is that what we're a part of here at Coastline is always bigger than the part that we play individually. 
what, what am I saying? Well, as Coastline Vineyard Church, if you think about it, the whole vineyard movement of churches in this country is bigger than just this church. And the Vineyard Church or the Vineyard movement of churches across the world is bigger than what is just happening here in the UK and Ireland. And if you go even bigger than that, and we think big C, the whole church around the world is obviously way bigger than what God is just doing in the vineyard. So the church is always bigger than us. It's always bigger than the part we play. But what I want you to know is that the part that we play individually is indispensable to the whole. And this is what we're going to see firsthand today with the Apostle Paul. And as we look at the Apostle Paul this morning uh, on his uh, journey to Jerusalem, I, I just really hope that we will be inspired afresh as we play our role in this church as he did in his. So there's this, uh, this woman, she's from California, and she's walking down this deserted road, and um, as she's walking down this road, she finds this magic lamp. Uh, and she picks it up, it looks very beautiful, and uh, like all good magic lamps, a genie pops out of it. And the genie looks at this woman, and he says to her, look, I am a genie, but basically you only get one wish. Not three, you just get one. This is a one-stop shop uh, place for wishes, but you just get one. So think about it. What would you like to wish? So she sits there and she thinks for a while. She's thinking, she's thinking. She's like, well, my husband has always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm terrified of flying, she said. Here's my wish. I would like you to build a bridge from California all the way over the sea, the ocean, <laughs> uh, to Hawaii. And the genie stands there shaking his head, and he looks at her and he says, do you understand the complexity of engineering it would take to make this bridge? The genie's like, do you understand plate tectonics and how the, the ground moves? Uh, this is an impossible request, he says. The genie says, look, you can still have your one wish, but you're going to need to make another one. So she sits there for a minute, and she's, she's thinking, and then she remembers that the day before, she's had this crazy argument with her husband, where her husband said to her, look, I just wish you could understand me. So she looked back at the genie, she said, okay, I know what my wish is. I want to be able to understand my spouse. To which the genie replied, do you want that bridge to have two lanes or four? <laughs> the reality is, life is interpersonally challenging and emotionally complex. Marriage is, parenting is, family is, both immediate and extended. Church family is, it's challenging it's complex. We see race relations. We see it in the news all the time. It's really complex. We see global affairs, interpersonally challenging, emotionally complex. It always feels like we're kind of on the brink of one war or another. Think about how the rich relate to the middle class and the middle class relate to the, the poor and how the poor relate to the rich. It's interpersonally challenging and emotionally complex. See, the honest reality is 
life is hard. Would anyone agree that life is hard? And as much as life is hard, I want to suggest that love is harder. Living the kingdom life, and we talk about this all the time, being one of Jesus' apprentices is hard. Loving God with everything and loving your neighbor as yourself is hard. And Paul demonstrates this all the time, that life is hard, but love is harder. And he goes from city to city, sharing the gospel, this gospel of love, and he's calling people to follow Jesus, and it's hard. If you know anything about Paul, this guy gets shipwrecked, beaten, flogged, jailed, all the time. It's just consistent. And sometimes I think we can read the book of Acts, we can hear these incredible stories of Paul, and we think, well, he's got some kind of special anointing. But think about it. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead that's living in Paul lives in each of us. We're all called to share the gospel, and it's hard. What Paul displays through Acts is that living for Jesus and sharing this gospel of love actually comes at a significant cost. But however great the cost is, I'm convinced the gospel breaks down barriers. The gospel builds bridges like nothing else in our world. Now before we jump into this passage in Acts 21, I want us just to briefly look at Acts 20, verses 22 to 24. I think it's going to come up on the screen, but it says this. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. To test to the task, sorry, of testifying to God to the good news of God's grace. Paul is moving from city to city, sharing this barrier-breaking, bridge-building gospel, and there is a substantial cost to himself. We say, well, why is he doing all this? He's doing this because he's experienced the power of the gospel in his own life. Were any of you here last week? Did you hear Johnny's testimony? He testified of how the gospel has changed his life. And Paul is laying down his life to share this gospel to others. Let me ask you the question. Does the power of the gospel motivate you to lay down your life for others. Remember the, the big picture of the Bible portrays that God is the maker of heaven and earth and everything in it. 1 Colossians 16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All these things have been created by Jesus and for Jesus. But we know, don't we, that sin comes into the world through our own selfish choices and has distorted everything in humanity and everything in the world that God has made. However, 
The gospel came to cancel the power of sin and all its effects. That's good news, right? Paul knows this. But do we know this? Do we really know this? Do we live for this? Paul knows that the the gospel has these these vertical realities that people would be reconciled and restored to the God who they were made by and for. He knows that the gospel has these horizontal realities, this kind of relational, often kind of hatred between people across the earth. He knows it can be abolished through Jesus. He knows, and hopefully we know, that the totality of the gospel is to reconcile, redeem, and restore people back to God. And the bottom line here is that Paul sacrifices his life to break barriers, to break down these barriers between people and build bridges with people and ultimately to announce to everyone that Jesus has changed everything. Paul knows that when we submit to King Jesus, that sin is revealed, that lives are transformed. But my question to you this morning is, what is motivating your life? What is motivating your life? Is it sex, money, power, property, prestige, ego, or does the gospel motivate your life? So let's read the first few verses in chapter 21. I'm not going to read the first few verses, but we just see Paul going from place to place. Let's pick it up in verse 4. It says this, We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, they left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there, on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued on our voyage from Tyre and the land at Pata. Hold on a minute, I wrote it down. It's, it's in there, it's quite difficult. Patalame. How about that? It doesn't really look like that. But that's actually what it says. Where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed there with them for a day. Leaving the, the, the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at, our, at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles." Further on in this story, uh, we see Paul go on. I'm not going to read it, but we, we see Paul go on, and uh, he, he has some, some issues with some of the Jewish people and the customs there. He then meets James, who is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, uh, and the elders there. And then a mob turns up, and he basically gets beaten up. He ends up in chains, and then the Romans come along, and they're taking him off to jail. So as we enter this story in Acts 21, there is tension all 
around. There's, there's anxiety, there's fear, there's challenge. And it's just like today. The, 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 how, how we live today, it feels a bit like the COVID and restrictions and opinions and vaccines and uncertainty. And the greater backdrop here is that Paul lives in a time which is politically disruptive, socially enraged, and religiously confused. Does that sound familiar at all? It's not so unlike the times we're living in now. Here we have the apple cart of the Jews being totally messed up because of this man called Jesus. The gospel has been taken to the Gentiles who have got their own kind of world views on things, their own convictions, and the gospel is disrupting the Jew-Gentile status quo. There's these tectonic shifts taking place. People are unsteady on their feet. They're not quite sure where to plant their feet. And it's a bit like an earthquake. But let me digress for a moment. Can I remind us that in Acts 16, if you, if you know this story, we have Paul and we have Silas, and they're in prison, and they're speaking to confused, scared people about Jesus. They're praying and they're singing to him, and then there is a literal earthquake, a literal earthquake in this prison, which I often, when I read it, think it kind of, it represents the moment that we have in the midst of culture. But you know what happens with this earthquake in Acts 16? The earthquake opens doors for the gospel. The jailer gets saved. His family gets saved. Let me encourage you. Earthquakes open door, doors for the gospel. God speaks in the midst of earthquakes. Maybe you're experiencing an earthquake right now in your life. Maybe with your children or in your marriage or in your relationships or in your singleness. Let me tell you, God promises to come. He, come. he promises to come to you, to comfort you, to heal your broken heart. But when there's earthquakes happening, God can open doors for the gospel. Coastline Vineyard, there is no better time, maybe no better time in all of history to be sharing the gospel People are massively confused, incredibly scared. The question is, will we share the gospel with them? Paul is facing tough political systems, religious traditions, cultural rituals, the things that have brought so many in the culture some kind of security. And Paul's declaration to these systems and traditions is that they're all shifting sands. He explains the proper place of confidence is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. See, when the world shifts, when culture shifts, when hearts shift, earthquakes open doors for the gospel. Coming back to the text in Acts 21, there's all this tension, but Paul is compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, even though people are telling him not to go, even though he knows there's going to be hardships ahead, even though there is the threat of prison and getting beaten up, he still goes. He goes because he's experienced the power of the gospel and he longs to share that with others, to break barriers, to build bridges with people. 
We know that Paul was commissioned to take uh, the gospel to the Gentiles. We see it in Acts 9. It says this. It says, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Remember, to the Gentiles, the gospel seems utter stupidity that God came in flesh, that he died on a cross for the sins of humanity. He he raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sent his spirit. They think it's nonsense. And yet God says he's still going to use Paul to break down those barriers of doubt. He's going to use Paul to build bridges to them. He's going to help build bridges between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's going to cost Paul. And he knows this. Paul does this because this is what Jesus did all the time, didn't he? You know, people said to him, you can't, you know, can't talk to that Samaritan woman. You know, you can't go and spend time with those drunkards. You can't talk to that little man, Zacchaeus, that tax collector, because he's the worst of the worst. And Jesus just presses in, and he's like, Zacchaeus, we're going to your house. He's like, woman, do you have some water for me? Jesus was constantly breaking barriers and building bridges, especially to people on the edges of society. Paul's like, follow me as I follow Jesus. But remember, Paul's going to Jerusalem And the the Judaizers are there. These are the people that hate him. They want to kill him. We read in 1 Corinthians uh, verses 1, uh, sorry, 123, it says, the gospel is foolishness to the Gentiles and a stumbling block to the Jews. The Jews are like, what, you're telling me that the Gentiles are included in this as well? (laughs) Jesus is a stumbling block. And the fact that the gospel is going to go to all nations, that it isn't just for the Jews, is a kind of barrier for them. It's a stumbling block, and Paul wants to go there. He wants to speak to them. He wants to share this good news. His desire for the Jews runs deep because he is a Jew. He has an incredible heart for his people. We see it in Romans 9, verses 1 to 3. It says this. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms through the Holy Spirit, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. Listen to this church. Paul is saying he wished himself cursed, cut off from Christ, thrown into hell just to save his fellow Jews. Do you feel that kind of anguish in your heart for the people around you that don't know Jesus? Paul is driven by love, driven by love for his people. That's why he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to reenact Jesus in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's sacrificial love that motivated Jesus, and it's sacrificial love that motivates Paul. But does your heart ache for the people in Bournemouth that don't know Jesus? 
Are you willing to go from this place on this day, as Sarah said, through the week to be like Jesus, to connect with people, to share the good news of the gospel? I think sometimes in the church, we think, oh, no, 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 the sharing of the gospel, that's just for the evangelists, right? That's what they're meant to do. But for sure, there is a gift of evangelism. But all of us are called, all of us are called to share the good news of the gospel. The question is, are we doing it? Are we doing it? I'm convinced this whole scene in Acts 21 and onward, and we're going to see in the next few weeks, is is Paul being obedient, motivated uh, by love. He's hearing from the Holy Spirit, and he's sacrificially laying down his life to get this good news to everybody. And what Paul is actually doing as he's going back to Jerusalem under the threat of death is I've been thinking about this. It's almost like death always, always, always is at the center of love. See, we can't love in small ways or big ways without dying to ourselves. It's impossible. Unless a grain of seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot birth new life, John 12, 24. Jesus says to follow him, we need to die to ourselves, to take up our cross, it says, to follow him. Death is always at the center of love. The way we can truly share the gospel, to break barriers, to build bridges, even though it's dangerous, is to die to ourselves. We're called to be little Christs, aren't we? That's what Christian means. If we're going to find our life, Jesus says we must lose it. There is self-interest in us losing our lives for him. So let me end by this. Let me ask some questions. How are we doing, church? How are you doing in sharing the gospel? A little further on, there's this little, I'll finish with this. There's this one verse that says, Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. I was thinking, what would that look like if I sent you an email this week and asked you to report in detail how the gospel was being used and shared through your life? How would we respond to that? What would you say? Would you say, yeah, this week I've shared, I've shared the gospel with 10 people. You know, I, I, I've, I've loved people to life. I've, I've, I've invited people to go you know, on the discipleship course. I don't know. I don't know how it would go. I know at the moment we all feel still quite disconnected from one another. And uh, you know, I'm still hearing some incredible stories of what God has been doing over this 18 months. But we're still in this kind of unsettled time. But it's just something to think about. How are you doing in the proclamation of the gospel in your own life. The longing of my heart is for none of us to miss out on playing our part in the greatest story that's ever been told. And I know I said this at the beginning. I know this can be hard. I know this is, is scary. And we need one another. And the discipleship course and the new healing on the streets and soon in, in the coming weeks as we start to do some, some more kind of uh, intentional evangelism, 
Let's listen to one another. Let's be honest with where we're at in terms of how we share. I'm not saying all of this to make anybody feel guilty, but I do feel like there's this sense of of challenge that we need to have, healthy challenge that we need to have. I'll end with this. I find myself all the time having to try and break out of Christian bubbles in order to spend time with people who don't know Jesus. And it's really quite scary because there's always this moment when you're with people where it's going to, so what do you do for a living? You know, what do you do as a job or whatever? And at that moment, I'm at this point of like, oh, here we go. This, is, this could go really well or they're going to ask me some crazy deep questions that I just don't know the answers to. But you know what? I felt over the last few weeks and months more and more that God is asking me to step outside of my comfort zone. Trust him. Trust him. And I have been able to share the gospel so many times. Now, I haven't seen anyone miraculously at the moment give their life. But you know what? They're still texting me or messaging me. Hey, would you pray about this? Oh, my mum's poorly. Would you pray about this? And for me, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of what God wants to do with those relationships. So let me encourage you, church. We're going into a new season. And God is, is about to do something incredible. And I just want us to be equipped as the people of God to be ready to share the gospel of love with as many people as we possibly can do. Amen? Amen. Amen.